0: And welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
1: And I'm Pete Wright, also from the Next Real.
0: We're right at the beginning here. We're talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man where this whole crazy MCU kicked off and I should say we are here with our wonderful guest this week Ryan Dalton joining us again hello hello happy to be here happy to nerd
2: out about some comic book movies
0: well today we are digging into minute 9 which starts with Christine grilling Tony and ends with Christine and Tony on flambé delecto <laughs> I know that was terrible. That was just that was, terrible. No, that was good.
1: That, you better not cut that. You better, that's, that's so far, it's the highlight of the entire show. Uh, I uh, I love this minute because it starts with the answer to a big cliffhanger. How do you feel about your other name, Merchant of Death? Yeah, that's not bad. And that cuts at the last minute. And here we get the answer.
2: Yeah, which is that he just doesn't care right. what his labels are. No.
1: He doesn't care and and this is a highlight minute of some really of of what we end up getting whenever tony gets a chance to talk at length which is just straight up uh witty repartee
2: well the progression in this minute is really interesting to me because it's you get to see more of tony's mind which is great but then you also get to see christine everhart being actually a pretty skilled journalist here uh and of course she has her own agenda but you get i see it in kind of her taking Tony through three different stages. He starts out with very polished, kind of, you know, suave, corporate line guy to getting a little bit more serious to glasses are coming off and now I'm upset at you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you, so you see him in, in three different emotional states and uh, I think that, that actually attests well to her ability to actually pull that out of him.
1: Well, and, and to have him, to, to sort of watch him through the stages of conflict, right? That when it starts... He is only talking to her because he, he, she's attractive and he feels like he doesn't have to bring his A-game to the conversation. But it turns out he does have to bring his A-game and we get to watch him make that choice uh, through That's a great point. Downey's performance. Yeah, I think, that, I, I think that, that makes this sequence really fun. And the fact that we get the beginning of the sequence all the
0: way to the end and the payoff in this single minute is really rewarding.: Well and that's what's so great about uh, this conversation. I mean, while he's going through those transitions over the course of this this, I guess you would call it an interview, he never stops with the flirting. It's always there, regardless of which stage he happens to be in in their conversation. Right. He's so good at it. Uh, Have you ever lost a night (laughs) of sleep? Well, I'd be willing to lose a few with you. Like, and that's at the end of their conversation. It's so good. Yeah, it speaks well to, to Tony. And again, it just goes back to this whole playboy of status that they had created for the character. In the comics and so far in the film. And they've done such a good job of establishing who this character is. And regardless of the Save the Cat philosophies with screenwriting, we've kind of established that, that Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of charismatic charm really kind of works to help us get into this character who otherwise is kind of an abysmal person but he's just so stinking likable in everything that he does and the way that Robert Downey Jr ha- plays his kind of his witty repartee as he's as he's talking to whether it's the soldiers in the humvee or or Christine Eberhart he he's really good at just kind of bouncing around within
2: the conversation well one of the kind of shorthand uh, things you can do for, from a writing standpoint that I've gone over in writing classes I've taught I've had taught to me in other classes is a very quick effective way to get you to like someone a character is to make that character good at something uh, because we're more likely to buy into that character if we admire something about them, even if there's not a lot to admire about them. If you make them competent and really good at something, then we enjoy watching them or we enjoy reading about them. And here in these early scenes with Tony, we're shown things that he is very good at. He's very good at talking to people. He's very good at being carefree and confident to just about himself and life in general. And so it automatically makes us like watching him.
1: I love the way you put that too, because uh, you know it also gives us this uh, a chance to set up... Uh, a fantastic conflict between uh sort of id and superego where tony is just all id he's all sort of instinct and um you know following his gut and following the next thread of the conversation and just the fact that he is exceptionally good at this sort of banter he's and and very well equipped uh to you know have this kind of dialogue because obviously he has the numbers he has the you know the business behind him to support his uh his perspective Really, he wants to get her in bed, and she's coming at this, trying to, you know, from all moral, right? She's she's just trying to to get him to to come up with a to to a statement on his stance of being evil, and the the battle between them is who's going to break, right? Is she going to get his id to actually come into reality, or is he going to get her sort of her superego
2: to hit the sack? Have you guys seen Leslie Bibb in, in many other projects that she's done? Uh, A few other things. Uh, I remember her from Talladega Nights. Was she one that was on Dawson's Creek or was she, was that someone else I'm thinking of? Pete would know that he was a Dawson's Creek fan. It's been a long. I was a fan the first couple <laughs> Sorry about seasons. Outing you. Uh, it's been a long time oh, though.
1: Now I wear that loud and proud, man. Uh, let's see. What was she? Just she was just in something that I saw. She um, was just oh, in
0: Tag, which we loved.
1: It, she was in Tag. She was also in the Babysitter. Did you see that? That slasher uh, oh, no. Netflix. Oh, I didn't uh, see that gig on. She was, and and this is the thing that I remember thinking. She played the mom in the babysitter, right? And that was a massive context shift for me oh, wow. because I you know not used
0: to seeing her as the mom, but she was fantastic. She's great. I feel like I haven't seen her in a lot of things, but every time she pops up in something, I find myself enjoying her. And and it's not a big part,
2: this uh this particular reporter, but I just I feel like she embodies it really well. Oh yeah, she's good. You you can tell from word one that she's a woman on a mission. Uh, yeah. I, I think she really she holds her own in Coming back at Tony with a few things that maybe he didn't expect. Now, um, I, I do want to talk to you guys a little bit. Tony
0: mentions that his father helped defeat the Nazis and worked on the Manhattan Project. Now, I had already talked about how in the script it mentioned that Tony was born in 1973. If his father worked on the Manhattan Project, that was like 40, what was it, like 43 to 40, 42 to 46 is when the Manhattan Project was was actively uh, working um, I would assume he would be probably what in his maybe thirties by the time he was, you know, enough of a, a of a an engineer and uh, designer to be working on a project like that. Would you guys think?
1: Well, un- unless
0: he's uh, as brilliant as Tony was, Okay, right? Sure. Given that, let's say twenty-five then. Okay, twenty or twenty-one when he takes over the reins. Twenty-one. Okay, so you're saying twenty-one? He jumps into the Manhattan Project. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying there is, is there room. Well, let's 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 to, go. We we've,
1: we've already talked about how how aggressively intelligent and and quick-witted Tony is and we have that uh, typographical error on the <laughs> Forbes cover when he took over as CEO <laughs> at
0: 21. Maybe there's a chance that at 21 his dad could have been doing the same stuff. Okay. Let's just take that then and say okay. let's say that Tony's father um, started working on the Manhattan Project in nineteen forty-two when he was twenty-one. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I hear your dubiousness in your voice. You're laying it on pretty thick. <laughs> let's let's just try it. I, I just we'll go through a few different <laughs> options here and and see where we land. So that means he would have been born in what, nineteen twenty-one then, right? Okay. And so then in nineteen seventy-three he has Tony, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> So that means he's 52, which is doable. He's a 52 year old man when he has his son and he dies mm-hmm. in 1991. So then 73, 83, 90. So that's 18 years later. Uh, so 52, 62. So he's 70 years old when he dies. Okay. I will... We'll see. Now, let's just
1: it's I have to say it takes perhaps some aggressive leaps to get us there. But at least that one scenario does check out.
0: Okay. now let's say he's 35 when he starts working with the Manhattan Project. This is just (laughs) we're just playing with the numbers here, trying to guess where he could have been. So that means he would have been born in 1907. And then that means that when Tony was born, he was, uh, gosh, what would he have been? Uh, 73 minus seven, right? So he would have been 66 years old. So he's a very very
2: old father. (laughs) Very, very old father. Maybe he was taking some preliminary sips on that super soldier serum. I mean, mean, you never know. Well, (laughs) there you go. Right.
1: (laughs) That's right. He was (laughs) dosing. He was the Lance Armstrong of his age.
0: (laughs) uh and that would have put put him dying in 91 at uh like 84 years old and uh, i i have a hard time buying that that photo that we saw in the news clips uh when uh of the newspaper when he died that that he was 84 it could have been an older photo we'll we'll give it that okay so i'm just i'm just trying to gauge here exactly uh, how this was working i think in the comics obviously it all worked better when tony was around during the time of vietnam and now it's it's an interesting thing with the comics how they're they're trying to keep the the timeline with a lot of those elements so that they can have like the captain america timeline and everything but build it into this which is a much you know we're obviously just progressing much much farther down the timeline here and so by having all of the these elements happening later, it just, I think it stretches a little bit. Um, maybe past the point of believability, but I don't know. I guess it could work. Well, okay, so I i need
1: to jump back into comic lore here, because this is another thing that that doesn't get touched on uh, at all in this movie so far, in the, the lore of Tony and Dad. But uh, again, as comics readers, I hope you guys can educate me. Howard Stark was not necessarily a good guy in the comics right i mean i my understanding was the tony's dad
2: in the comics was an agent of hydra i think depending on when you you read it um perception of him has gone back and forth uh, so I think it may just depend on what run you're looking at. And which Earth we're on. That's something that as I've oh, been yeah. getting back into, oh, comic
0: books, <laughs> into <laughs> comics, I'm realizing there are many different Earths. And it's it's a little confusing, and especially for me as I go through the different like um, Marvel Wikia and Iron Man Wikia trying to learn some of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm looking up a character like Howard Stark. And here he is. Uh, is it the Earth 616 or is it Earth 16? Ten or Earth um, one ninety nine nine ninety nine. It's it gets a little confusing when you try to <laughs> try to pinpoint.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Earth six sixteen. From what I've been going as I go through the, the wikia, that seems to be the main Earth. And that's the one that uh, that that all of the this stuff happens in. I don't know enough about Howard Stark. He's not I like I didn't do any digging on his character. So I'm going to have to learn more about who he is and everything. But the one thing that I did find interesting as I was reading about Howard Stark is it actually had this this thing where it's about Arno Stark, which is the his child with his wife, Maria, and the adoption of Tony Stark. Which was something that I found quite surprising. So apparently, he and Maria had troubles having kids, and I don't know the whole story, but they 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 used some alien technology to get pregnant, and that uh, created a baby named Arno, who I I think had some alien technology, and actually I don't know what happened with Arnie. I think he Arno he hid Arno in um a hospice his his wife uh had a, a foundation and it was the maria stark foundation hospice and they they hid arno in this foundation and then they adopted a son that became tony and um i i, I just don't know enough about this and if this is Really, the way things played out um, over time, or what? So it's it's very interesting, and now I
2: I feel like I'm going to need to do some more digging into Iron Man and and his history. Yeah, I want to say that may have been an Elseworlds story, but again, uh, is as much the fraction of comics that I know, even though I feel like I know a decent amount, but compared to a lot of the comics lorists out there, I I don't know anything. So there could be an element of that that I I just missed. Yeah, who knows? I'm very curious now. Regardless, it has piqued my
0: curiosity and I want to learn a little bit more about it. So now, what do you guys know about Intellicrops? Did you guys look at at Intellicrops at all to figure out what they are? Because Tony so casually throws out that line. (laughs) I know, he's pretty excited about is
1: IntelliCrops, that they show up in this one-minute sequence uh, as, as you know, a comeback to somebody challenging his ethical stance. Uh, is IntelliCrops a, a thing that we need to be really concerned about?
0: Well, looking it up, I guess IntelliCrops, it's a thing that they're developing uh, crops for food, feed, and industrial applications that grow on marginal land, whether it's like too saline, too dry, too polluted, Um, or in areas who need peculiar growth factors and so it's it sounds like you know there's non-gmo it sounds like intellicrops are full-on gmo that's that's (laughs) my impression
2: (laughs) that that was kind of what i got out of it just genetically engineered to grow fast to to grow anywhere and just i think the, the implication was we're feeding lots of people here with this military money so get off my back (laughs) right exactly
1: (laughs) look how good we are with all our military money said no one ever
0: (laughs) now there is an actual intellicrop company it's intellicrop uh, genetica vegetal which is a brazilian company and uh, yeah that's that's also what they do they are um, working to achieve the best in technology and genetics for soybeans
1: i'm actually looking at them on linkedin and you'll be pleased to know that it looks like they're hiring (laughs)
0: So, there you go. if you want to head to Brazil and work in
2: soybean genetics, <laughs> well, if they need any story if need any stories written about the soybeans, I'll be happy to write them something. but I may not be of uh, any use to them otherwise. <laughs> um well, and then we get to uh, we have the wonderful cut again.
0: and i I think this is something that John Favreau paired with his writers, paired with his screenwriter or his editors, work out really nicely is the way that they, they find uh, to transition from scene to scene. We already talked about the great transition from Jeff Bridges as Obadiah on stage saying, if it's one thing about Tony, he's always working. And then you've got that fantastic smash cut to Tony throwing the dice on the crap table. It's just a a brilliant cut. And here you have, I I think close to an equally brilliant cut where she's drilling him about, uh, about all of the stuff that he does. And, and he says, I'm, you know, you know, do you ever lose an hour of sleep at night? I'm prepared to lose a few with you. And then we cut to them in the sack as as she's kind of going a little crazy.
1: Well, and you can see her and and this is to the credit of Leslie Bibb's performance here, like, you see her lose the argument in her eyes with, what am I going (laughs) to do next? You actually see it on her face as she comes to the awareness that of of where she's going to end up in the next 45 minutes.
2: Yeah, that very brief just instantaneous pause between when he says that, and there's this there's a quiet moment where you see her, and then we have the jump cut. That pause is is I think where the gold is because that builds up just the moment of tension, and then we flip over to this is the next thing. And uh, I agree. I think the editing of that it was just really well done. John Favreau is a director who. Um,
0: I don't feel like he's got a, a real strong visual stamp as far as what his films look like. Like I don't feel like you could jump through each of them and, and just look at the the shots and go, that's definitely a John Favreau film. Um And even in this film, and we talked about a few minutes ago, where he pulls a shot, like a total homage to like Sam Raimi with the kind of the crash zoom on the missile, he really kind of seems to just be happy to use whatever works in context of what he's doing. But I do think that this is something he's really good at is taking is finding those little moments of humor. And and building it just the right way. I mean, I'd go all the way back to uh, to swingers and the way that he wrote that. I just feel like he's got a good sense for those little moments of humor. And with his with the right editor, which he has here,
2: I think that it just shines through. Yeah, I agree. You definitely see that he has a sense of humor and that he likes that like the pace to to like be kind of snappy at least for right here and and he's good at maintaining the energy of whatever he's trying to convey to you uh, uh, with the scene, you know, the pacing's good. Uh, he, you know, you could tell he's just, he's good with the fundamentals and he knows how to pull out the right tool to make you feel what he wants to.
1: Well, I- exactly. And to that point, you know, just the, 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 the pace of the screen uh, of the script that uh, every line, whether it's from Bib in this case or from Downey, I, I can see myself in both of them. And as an audience member, that's what I want, right? I want that emotional connection with the scene. I want to be able to imagine myself having either side of this argument uh, and and winning. Uh, and, and it makes it feel so much more rewarding when we get to that cut. And, uh, yeah, you know, they, they both won. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Dan Leventhal is the editor on Iron Man. And it uh, looks like... He probably uh, first met Jon Favreau back on uh, Very Bad Things, which is a, a film that uh, Favreau was in. He didn't uh, direct it. That was Peter Berg directing it. But um, um, he ended up, uh, this is the first time, or sorry, they first worked together on Elf and Zathura. So both of his previous films, they, uh, they worked together. And then Iron Man 2, uh, they do after this, along with Cowboys and Aliens. And then he sticks with Marvel. He does Thor, the Dark World. Um, He does the short All Hail the King and Ant-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So he's around this uh, franchise quite a bit. Wow. Nice. And it's funny. I would argue that most of those have a lot of humor. And then there's Thor, the Dark World.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't exist in this go (laughs) Uh, I was going to say,
0: he really sticks with the funny
2: ones. Uh, And then there's Thor, the Dark World but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting taking all of those on uh, in kind of a list and looking at them together because most of them do have a similar type type of energy there's a kinetic feel to them and uh you don't feel like anything languishes it keeps on at a good pace but it also gives you what you need to have the emotions that you need to have um yeah guys a good editor
1: Yeah, you know, I'm trying to pull apart. Speaking just strictly of the the cutting and the humor, I'm trying to pull apart, uh, you know, some non-superhero stuff. Uh, And then Leventhal did did Chips. And that's sad. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of humor. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess. I, I guess there is but but uh but you're right what what a fantastic career i mean the guy has you know he's been around uh long enough to to really have a a tone and uh, you can you can really feel it um, even even in the spirit of Thor the dark world which i think you could argue has some um it it lacks a sense of, of joviality uh but it it certainly does offer us a chance to see some really flamboyant editing like we have in these other movies. And I think that, um, you know, that speaks to his ability to use editing to to tell the story. Uh, I, I big fan of his work in Homecoming too. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm excited. We've already talked about how great uh, he, uh, how great the editing works in Ant-Man and the Wasp just being able to handle cutting around um, you know changing size and y- you can sort of feel the the sort of narrative strokes coming from you know all, all the way back here
0: and when you say that that is of course on our, our main show the next reel yeah. where we actually talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp on our film board episode ah, good times indeed indeed
1: that's all I got
0: <laughs> I'm good here alright guys well uh, that is it for this week's show Ryan thank you again for joining us today for this uh, for this episode. oh, Happy to be here. Where can people find
2: you? Where should uh, you send them? Uh, I, Ryan Dalton, on Twitter, if you want to follow me there. Uh, I tweet about books. I also just tweet silly stuff sometimes. Um, Legible Scrawl, if you want to hear me do a little bit of voice acting uh, with some fun uh, audio dramas. And then the Time Shift trilogy is my series of time travel mysteries. And uh, the first one is called The Year of Lightning. And uh, they're available wherever books are sold.
1: Now, now who's that for? Uh, is that, uh, what, uh, who, who are you writing for? Is it a, is it a horror thing for adults only? Is it a, is it a kid's book? What who are you writing for?
2: They're young adults, um, but very much crossover young adults. Uh, I've had people as young as nine and as old as 50 tell me that they uh, enjoyed them. I, you know, I, I just tried to put my, my nerdy love of nerdy things, uh, in the books and, um, yeah, you're following teenagers, but, um, There's some nice little subtle nods to classic sci-fi if you're a sci-fi nerd, Um, but it also approaches time travel in a way that I don't think I'd ever seen before. So if you want to see a unique uh, way uh, for time to be manipulated, then uh, you might want to give it a shot. I can't wait. Every day this week, I have come closer to pushing
1: by now, and I think by Friday, uh, I think we'll we'll make it happen.
2: We're going to get you. I just need to be sold, man. Just maybe
1: one more day. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm going to get you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love
0: it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at MarvelMovieMinute.com. You know, uh, we have our chat rooms over on Discord where everybody jumps into the conversation. Um, you should, too. Head over to Discord, and you can join us in our chats there. And, of course, follow us over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And of course, if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, why don't you become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel. Until next time, true
2: believers.